everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Mike Drop Sports Podcast. Welcome. I am Mike Schneid, joined by Zach Stein. Hope everyone enjoyed the Super Bowl yesterday. I did. I honestly, I really did. Patriots, winners, 13-3, sixth time in 18 years that we're waking up on a Monday morning and the Patriots are Super Bowl champions. Really is amazing, huh? It, no shocker to me. I predicted that the Patriots would win this game. I definitely thought it would have been a little bit higher scoring than this, <laughs> but even though people are saying it was a boring game, I personally don't think it was all that boring, even though it was low scoring. The game was close the whole game, so every play was important going forward. So it was just you never knew when the game was going to shift. There were big plays on defense all the time, really good plays by the Patriots on offense to keep drives going. So it was just still a really fun game and just a total defensive domination, really, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just I think because this was the second highest scoring regular season of all time, that we're just conditioned now to, oh, and the final score is 40 to 40, 41 40. You know, it's the greatest game ever, like that 105 point Rams Chiefs game earlier this year. But like you said, every play had the potential to be a game changing play. I understand that not every play was a positive play, but it was always, I mean, it was always a big play. Yeah. I mean, it's just when you have such a low scoring game. it's just like in a baseball game where every pitch you're just like waiting for it. Like, is this the play that's going to break out? And I was at my Super Bowl party and talked with my friends. Like, all right, the the scoring's got to start here, right? It was just, you keep anticipating something big to happen, but then the defense would always come up and make the play to just keep the game stalled and keep the score where it was. Was it the defense? Do you believe that it was the Patriots' defense or was the Rams' offense just so bad? I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, I think the Patriots did a good enough job where they were able to pressure Goff enough where he wasn't able to get comfortable. And then pretty much the the biggest game-changing play was where they rushed him, and then it was on the blitz. And then he threw a terrible throw and threw an interception. And I think that's just like the perfect example of how uncomfortable they were able to make golf that game. I agree that it's a little bit of both, but I'm actually going to lean to blame the Rams offense. Sean McVay obviously had the worst game as a coach of his short career. Here's my thing with Jared Goff. I coming into the playoffs, I wasn't fully convinced as to how good he was when the Rams beat the Cowboys. I was even more, of the belief that he might not be that good of a quarterback. He might just be the perfect system guy. He played so well against the Saints and was actually a huge part of why they won, and that sort of turned me a little bit. But again, after last night, I'm now back on this, is Jared Goff that good? I'm not sure that he is. And here's the thing with Goff. He has two more years left on his contract, and then he'll be doing an extension, probably 25 to $30 million a year. I'm sure you know the stat. No quarterback has ever made $25 million and won a Super Bowl. Would you give him the 25, 30 mil? It's hard. It's so hard to find a quarterback in this league. The, the Rams already drafted him number one overall. They've already had two very successful seasons in the NFL now with McVay and Goff at the helm. So when that contract comes up, I just, for me, 
I don't think they can go away from him, regardless of how he plays the next year, just because of how hard it is to find a quarterback. They've had such a good offense. It's not like where the Jaguars have had such a good team and they've, they've been just stagnant with, like, Blake Bortles. Like, everyone knew that they, that team has to make a change at quarterback. I don't think the Rams need to go and change that that team, but they need to do something because putting up three points in a Super Bowl is really embarrassing. So I would not extend Jared Goff. Jared Goff is the product of Sean McVay's commentary into his helmet. If you're listening and you don't know this, Sean McVay, up until the last second, talks into Goff's ears. He makes the hand gestures. He teaches and coaches up Goff on every single play. I'm not saying that Goff can't be good independently, but I truly believe that Goff is a product of Sean McVay's coaching. And I believe that you can insert another quarterback with a similar skill set to Goff in two years, and that quarterback can win 12, 13 games for the Rams. Then you have $25 million to go improve your secondary, your pass rushers, and to keep building the team around him, which is why this team was so successful, because he's on a rookie contract, and you can go out and pay guys like Peters and, uh, and Akib Tlaib and Dominic Sue. Right. But now, in that instance, in two years, who are you getting at quarterback, though? It's, you, I, it's so easy to go sign a quarterback. Thanks for Tua. Or, I you, mean, now, now you want this team no, that, I mean... <laughs> just, that just made the Super Bowl, made the playoffs last year, now in the Super Bowl. Now you're talking about because they, can't, they didn't win a Super Bowl with golf against one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports. Now you're saying you want this team to tank for Tua? <laughs> no, of course when, not. When half the league is already doing that? You of... want a Super Bowl team now to go tank for Tua? <laughs> of course Are not. Are you crazy? But, but I, of course not. But I do think that you can get somebody in the late first, late second, late third round that has a similar skill set to Jared Goff. You go get one of those air raid quarterbacks, a guy from Cal, a guy from Texas Tech, from Houston, from one of those schools, and I think you can bring him along. You bring him along with a veteran. Obviously, you're not tanking for Tua or for Lawrence, but you can go get a guy late in the first round. And I So think- do you think – so then it would almost make sense then if what you're saying is if the Rams go to these teams who want a quarterback right now saying, here, here's Jared Goff. Take them right now, but we want the farm with all your picks so we can go draft a replacement quarterback for him. Why not do that instead of waiting out these two years? Yeah, I would do that too. I think you're crazy. I would do that. I personally think you're crazy. But I I would wait because you maximize Goff's contract. You roll with Goff for next year because you know you can get to a Super Bowl with him. But then you move on from him and you don't have to pay him. You keep your cap sheet clean. That's the whole idea behind this is these teams that are successful and that have been winning the Super Bowls do not have $25, $30 million quarterbacks. No team has ever won the Super Bowl with a $25 million quarterback. And and I understand this, but that stat is so skewed just because we're still in Tom Brady era. So Tom Brady has been honestly one of the most selfless players in the history of the NFL, reworking contract after contract every year so they can pay all their other guys. I mean, Tom Brady – should be a $25 million a year quarterback based on how much he wins, but he's not. So once he's out of the league and as we keep going more and every year and quarterbacks keep becoming free agents, quarterbacks are still going to get paid. It's just going to happen. Teams need quarterbacks. So they're going to pay them. 
eventually that streak is going to be broken. It's going to be sooner than later, and it's going to be every single year a team has a $20 million a year quarterback winning a Super Bowl unless that Super Bowl winner is with a rookie contract. But eventually it's going to happen. It's just such a huge stat just because Tom Brady is still in the league. It might be a skewed stat, but the thing about it is you have those rookie contracts and it allows you to build the team around him. Well, of course. And obviously that is why some of these teams who have young quarterbacks are just have such a loaded roster because they have that cheap stud quarterback. But then, so what do you want to do when they're done with that rookie quarterback and then they're going to go get paid because they've earned it because they played well? You just want to ditch them and then try to go draft another one because – you have to sign him for big extension. No, it is so hard to find a quarterback in this league. You don't know who's going to pan out. You got to pay your guys that you know you're being successful with. Oh, I agree. But part of the part of the reason why I'm going to do this, obviously, Pat Mahomes, you're going to pay. You're going to give him the 200 million that he wants, and he might go win a he might go win a Super Bowl, and he might become the first guy, or somebody's going to be the first to to do it with a 25 million dollar contract. I don't disagree with that. I don't think Jared Goff is that good. That's my point. I'm not convinced that Jared Goff is a great quarterback, and I think the Rams can plug in a quarterback with a similar skill set, and Sean McVay can coach him the same way he's coaching Goff, teach him how to audible, get him to the line, read the defenses for him. Goff doesn't read the secondary. McVay is doing up until the last second, and he's telling Goff where to throw the ball. I, I mean, it's, I mean, Sean McVay is a freak at that. Jared Goff is still <laughs> really young in this league. And with McVay there and just getting used to that, Jared Goff is only going to get better. To still go on the road in New Orleans in the NFC Championship and win that game and play the way he did, I'm still sold that this is a really good Rams team. Obviously, they just lost the Super Bowl. They might not get back anytime soon just because there's so many good teams in the NFC that are hunting them. But they're still going to be very relevant. And, the, you know, I just feel like you can still build this team. Obviously, you got to keep that defense up. But, I mean, now the biggest question mark on this team is, what the hell is going on with Todd Gurley? <laughs> I can't answer that. I, I mean, it's crazy that he's been MIA in the playoffs. I was paid to be the highest paid running back of all time. And he just he disappeared in the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl. And everyone swears to God he's healthy. If the guy is healthy, then maybe Sean McVay is not a good And, well, no. I just saw a graphic today on Twitter that makes me actually believe he's healthy. He was clocked as the fastest player in the game last night. They, they measured him up to a little over 19 miles per hour at a top speed, which was the number one fastest player in the open field when he had that big, his biggest run of the game. So, clearly, if he's the fastest guy on the field still, that means he's healthy. Because if he, let's say he was maybe the 10th fastest player or whatever on that run, like then I'd understand, okay, maybe he got a little bit slower. Maybe he's got a hamstring injury. Maybe there's something going on. But the fact that he got up to his normal speed proves to me that he's not, that he's 100% healthy. Is this like a Trent Richardson type thing where it's like you completely forgot how to play football for him? What's going on? He admitted that he was getting outplayed by C.J. Anderson a couple weeks ago when, and this guy was on the field. He's fat. He was off the field all year. Like, <laughs> what is going on with Todd Gurley? I, I, I am mystified by this. And the weird thing about the lack of playing time, Gurley and Anderson combined for 17 carries in a game that was tied 
pretty much the whole time. So it's not like this game got away from them. It's not like they had to resort to throwing the ball all over the field. Those two combined for 17 carries while Sonny Michelle by himself ran 18 times. Right. And, and again, I mentioned this last week and just in terms of what I was thinking of the game. And for me, where the Patriots won the game is, again, they won time of possession by an extra seven minutes. So they keep that team off the field, but it was close enough where the Rams could have been given the ball to Gurley and C.J. Anderson. Gurley was averaging three and a half yards of carry, C.J. Anderson just over three. So it's not like it was the run game was being totally stopped where you had to abandon it, but it, I mean, it was semi-effective. And it's still like MVP a year removed. It's like, what, what, where's Gurley? What are you doing? It, it, it truly blows my mind. And obviously the Patriots had a plan yesterday. They obviously had a plan to stop him when he was in the game. And they had a plan to attack Jared Goff. And you said it. You give credit to the Patriots' defense. And you also said that a lot of teams are tanking next year for Tua. So one of those teams that are going to be tanking is likely the Dolphins, which is where Brian Flores is going now. What do you make of that move now that it was official on Monday that the linebacker switch to the Patriots is going to be the head coach of the Dolphins? Right. And so, obviously, Brian Flores, that was one of the most dominating uh, defense performances in the Super Bowl I've seen, only giving up three points to one of the top offenses in the league. And it's kind of shocking, shocking because when you think of the Patriots this year, it's not like a defensive team that, like, oh, wow, like, they're flashy, they're, they're so dominant. Yeah, they got some good guys on that side of the, the ball, but, like, it, it's kind of shocking that they held the, this Rams team to three points. And, but then if I'm a Dolphins fan, uh, I was talking with my really good friend, Mike Toback, who's from Florida, a huge Dolphins fan, then he's getting really excited about it. Like, and how can you not? You just have this guy, and I know the Belichick tree is not the most successful, but you just had a guy who was calling plays, called the biggest plays in the game for the blitzes, and which caused the turnover. And it's kind of exciting. I mean, obviously, it's, you can't really – you're not going to be able to reflect on how well he did in year one with the Dolphins coming up because – they just cut Ryan Tannehill. The quarterback situation is very murky. Uh, they have a lot of guys in transition, like Devontae Parker. You have no idea what's going on with him. And But if you can get that team around Brian Flores to, to really build up in the future, like this could be some guy who might be able to make flashes. I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, no, we definitely have to see. And I think the weird thing about them is they're going to release Tannehill and it sounds like they want to just get, like, an older veteran for a year because it sounds like they do plan to tank for Tua and go all in on the 2020 draft. So that'll be interesting. Probably won't be a lot of early success for him. On the other side of the spectrum, following the worst quarterback performance in Super Bowl history, the Rams quarterback's coach was officially named the Bengals head coach. Another move that I'm not really sure what to make of. I, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm not – overly excited about this move. The hire came out of left field uh, originally, and we sort of made fun of that a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't know. I, I just – I wouldn't be ex- excited, especially after this Super Bowl game. I mean, nothing nothing out of this game just strains excitement for the Rams going forward. It was such a disappointing game. And just to take this head coach who's got less than zero experience in the NFL, like, what are they doing? Yeah, and I think, like you said, if you're a Bengals fan, you're not that excited. I think if you're a Bengals fan who overlaps with the University of Cincinnati, you know this guy, Zach Taylor, well. Taylor was the offensive coordinator for the Bearcats in 2016. 
when Cincinnati had an offense ranked in the hundreds. So to all my friends from Cincinnati, I wish you all the best of luck. But as you know, I thought the game was exciting. I know you did too. I think one of the more disappointing elements was the gambling aspect of it. I sort of went all in on lots of points, lots of touchdowns, and there was one. So that certainly cost me some money. What about you? Yeah, no, I agree. I was <laughs> luckily to be at my friend's house with a couple of, a couple of my friends who I do place wagers with uh, frequently. And we like to, to bet on the same things as well. So rooting interest lines up. So uh, I think the most disappointing thing we had was we were all in on James White scoring the first touchdown of the game, not even just for the Patriots. And so the fact that James White was completely invisible, (laughs) it was frustrating to say the least, especially because that bet survived into the fourth quarter, which is super rare. So it was just that kept the game interesting. And then the most random bet ever that was still fun, even though it was a loser, was we were over one and a half total yards for James Devlin for the game. And he probably played <laughs> he probably played 35 snaps. And every time he was on the field, we would scream at the TV, give it to Devlin, give it to Devlin. And, of course, that was a loser too. But luckily, uh, I had a lot of money on the Patriots. Money line, I was live betting them throughout the game. But where I got in the way with myself was after the slow start of points and the over-under was starting to drop on the live betting. I was starting to take that a bunch. So I kind of got in my own way a little bit there with uh, betting the live. But it was still a fun game because <laughs> it was close throughout the whole game. And it made prop bets more interesting just because they extended all the way through the game. So it, so it was fun in that nature. Obviously, you know, you wish you it was going to be like a 35-34 type scoring game. But uh, that just wasn't what we had last night. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually made that same bet with the first touchdown in the game. I had Sony Michelle, so I actually cashed in on that bet. But like you said, I didn't think that that bet would still be active with, you know, eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I made that bet before. It was wild that that was still active. Um, I also won Julian Edelman had the most yards receiving. I bet a lot of money on various Rob Gronkowski bets to score touchdowns. So he actually got down to the two on the Sonny Michelle touchdown, so a disappointing effort for Gronk. Like you said with Devlin, I think the most disappointing bet was I bet over two and a half players would throw a pass. <laughs> I thought we would see some kind of fake punt, some kind of gadget trickery from the Rams, maybe a Edelman pass. Right. Somebody. I no, that, that was a fun pass. There, was, there, was <laughs> there were multiple times in that game where we set out loud at our party look out for the fake uh, Johnny Hecker punt pass right now. I've said that multiple times. I thought there were, there were at least two situations where I almost, like where I really thought it was going to happen. And Sean McVay just didn't take the risk. And at the end of the day, there just weren't enough risks taken by the Rams to, to win the game. I agree. The Rams, just they weren't themselves. Sean McVay... I don't know what – if the moment was too big for him or if he just got scared. I mean, he was outcoached. He wasn't himself. This is not how the Rams got here. They are a, risk, a risk-taking team. And they just – at the end of the day, they just didn't take chances. But they do have a good, strong young nucleus. They have Todd Gurley. If, if he can recover from this, Brandon Cooks, Aaron Donald have long-term contracts. So I do think the Rams are in a good place to repeat in the NFC West. 
for the Patriots to assume that they're going to win ring number seven next year. I'm just going to throw it out there that they'll be the 2020 Super Bowl champs. But I know you agree with me on this, as we've said for a couple of weeks now. If they do win number seven, they'll do it without Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, I agree. Especially because after the Super Bowl event, everyone was asking him if that was the last game. Obviously, in the moment, he's not going to say anything. But there wasn't anything, even just in his tone or his reactions, that even made it seem like he was really considering it. He got to go out as a winner. He made a huge catch on the sole TD drive of the game. Had a very nice game. Was very active in it. I think he even got a little banged up in that game, too. And he was able to battle through the injury. Just just another one of those nagging injuries that he's going to have to deal with in the future. But it's just, I, I definitely think, you know, that that's the best way to go out as a winner. I agree. I love Gronk. I've really enjoyed watching him play. But for the love of God, the guy is 29 years old, and he can move his body at this point. Uh, the guy will not lack after this. He's got a hell of a personality, and everyone loves him. I'm sure he's got a ton of money in the bank. He's a first bout Hall of Famer five years from today. So, shout out to Rob Gronkowski. I believe last night was his last game, and it's been awesome watching him play, and I can't wait to see him get into the Hall of Fame. We've heard a lot. There's been a lot of discussion today on Twitter, on TV, about the Hall of Fame and about the Super Bowl MVP, Julian Edelman. He had 10 catches for 141 yards, and – he was just open all game. I don't know what Wade Phillips' defense. I don't know why they couldn't just cover him, but he was amazing. He absolutely deserved the MVP, especially given how everybody else played. But just because he's the MVP, also a Hall of Famer? No, I, he's a great wide receiver. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's the model of consistency since he's really, you know, become a featured wide receiver on this team with Brady. But, again, he's just a typical slot receiver who can get 90 catches in a year, 1,000 yards, but doesn't put up the flashy touchdowns. And if people are freaking out about him going into the, the Hall of Fame and screaming for him, then why isn't Twitter exploding that Isaac Bruce didn't get into the Hall of Fame? Isaac Bruce is fifth all-time in receiving yards, 12th all-time in receiving touchdowns with 91 it's just – it's ridiculous. Like, this is a top 10 wide receiver of all time who just didn't get voted in the Hall of Fame. And now you're talking about a guy who I believe is like 300th all-time in receiving yards in the NFL, and, and he's 32 years old. So Edelman's career is probably winding down. Maybe he's got a couple more years left as well. So you're talking about maybe a guy who's going to rack up in the top 200s in major stats outside of receptions and receptions doesn't make you a hall of fame worthy wide receiver anyways. So I think it's ridiculous. I love Edelman very much, but there are allowed to be great players who are not hall of fame caliber. And that's just the way sports are. I agree. And the Isaac Bruce example is perfect because he did not get inducted into the hall of fame on Saturday. I felt that he should have, I believe, you know, or in a future year and you may stats in addition to that, the 91 touchdowns are 61 more than Edelman has in his career. He's got 10,000 more yards and 500 more catches. So the numbers aren't even close. And if Isaac Bruce can't get in on a first ballot, he'll get in on the second, if not the third. I just have a hard time seeing Julian Edelman getting in. Or no Julian Edelman comparison is Edelman had 30 touchdowns in his career. Michael Crabtree has 54 touchdowns. And Michael Crabtree has 2,000 more yards. 
Michael Crabtree is definitely not a Hall of Famer, but in the regular season, statistically, he's better than Edelman. Now, the argument that people want to make is that his wide, his playoff numbers are great. But if, if his playoff numbers are so good, does that mean Joe Flacco is a Hall of Famer for having the greatest postseason ever? No. And it's just <laughs> it, – people just need to cool down. The guy is a great wide receiver. He comes through in the clutch. He's very consistent. But that's just all he is. He's a very good wide receiver. And it, it takes a special breed to be a Hall of Famer. It, and it's just – obviously, Edelman's had a very fortunate career being on this dynasty of a Pats team with Brady. Obviously, he's had – a year where he was injured and out for a year. Obviously, he was just suspended and missed four games. So he's missed some opportune times to really pad up some extra numbers, but not enough time to get him into that Hall of Fame echelon of players like Isaac Bruce, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens. Like, those are wide receivers. All like Those are Hall of Famer guys. He doesn't stack up to that. Like It's just... He's just a very solid wide receiver who was fortunate enough to be on a great team and have all these opportunities in the playoffs to make big, to have big games. You know what's funny is you said that he was suspended to start the season. A lot of the people that are calling for Edelman to be in the Hall of Fame are probably the same people that won't vote Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I don't, we don't know exactly what kind of drugs Edelman took, but we know he took some kind of performance-enhancing drugs that got him suspended. I, that doesn't bother me. I wouldn't, I, would vote him, I wouldn't vote him in because of his stats, but, I mean, people are willing to put him in with the PEDs. Where's the, you know, where's the love in the baseball hall? I agree there? with that. And, uh, and people I, I even see were outraged that a guy who was suspended in the year shouldn't have played in the Super Bowl or shouldn't be voted MVP – it's like, he did his time. He did the punishment. He got caught, spent it four games. The Patriots recovered. He recovered and had a very nice regular season this year. And obviously, had a great postseason. But then in the Super Bowl game, there were tons of opportunities for other guys to go make big plays. And just, they didn't do it. Tom Brady threw an interception. Jared Goff threw an interception. Jared Goff missed Brandon Cooks in the end zone, although McCurdy made a ridiculous play to break that up. But there were opportunities for other guys to go do it. And guess who had the best game? Julian Edelman. Steroids or not, the guy had the best game in the Super Bowl last night. Absolutely. He was a monster. It helped that he was wide open every play. You know who else had a good game? And, of course, they're not going to get any love or recognition from fans and media, because why would they? But Good for the refs who called a good, clean game. They were not the story. Anytime you don't talk about the refs, I guess that's a, a good thing. Right, right? absolutely. Uh, I don't think there were that many penalties even called in the game. It was – and because it was really a low-scoring game, I, I even remember at the, at the Super Bowl party, like people were saying, I'm shocked how early this game ended. And, and I think that's just a testament where there were – a lot of run plays by the Patriots. Obviously, Julian Edelman was catching everything thrown his way. So it's, it felt like the game essentially was running with a running clock just because there really weren't many times where the ball was being stopped or anything like that, where it was just, you know, run, 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 punt. And then it was just – it was a clean game. I mean, it was very clean. There was nothing, you know, controversial about the game, which is great. You hate to have that in big games. And, yeah, it was a, it was a quiet referee night, which made it – the game was even a little bit more enjoyable than it was. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's the third time in – or it's the second time in three months that a Boston team beats an L.A. team to win the championship. The Red Sox beat the Dodgers back in the beginning of November. 
And the interesting thing is that L.A. got to the Super Bowl by beating the Saints, by beating New Orleans. They did it in controversy. In, you know, there was the controversy with the ref. And shifting gears to the NBA, it looks like L.A. might get the best of New Orleans again for the second time this month as they've upped their offer, as the Lakers have upped their offer for the Pelicans, Anthony Davis now. We talked about this a lot last, year, last week. I know you're a Lakers fan, so again – what do you make of these rumors that now they're willing to make that for and on the table? This is the offer that scares me as a fan. Yes, do I want Anthony Davis to be on the Lakers with LeBron James? Of course. But I also want that team, like I mentioned, to be with these young players. And I understand you need to go get him now. Like, he's got two years left on the deal. So, it's, so obviously, it's worth more that he's not just a free agent now and Lakers have missed out on some key free agents in the past that they thought they were going to get. So I get it. It's really hard to take advantage of free agency right now. So I get the need to go do it. But if you do this trade, and obviously a Lakers team with LeBron and Anthony Davis, you can put any guys on there and it's going to be a super competitive team just because you're talking about two of the best players in the league on the same team. And they play completely different positions. They're going to be able to dominate the game on both ends of the floor together. So I think you can get away with it is it going to win a championship this year no but if you make that trade you're talking about now a team that has a roster made up of where you're going to be starting josh hart at point guard who's a solid player but i don't think he's i mean you can probably get away with a lesser starting point guard with lebron on the floor anyways but josh hart at point guard then contavious caldwell pope at shooting guard then lebron at the three and then what are you starting zubak or mcgee at the four or Tyson Chandler at the four, and then Anthony Davis at the five, and then you've got these two big men off the bench. So where are the wings? So you got Speed Michaelic, who, I mean, I like him. He's a big shooter, and you need shooters on these teams. But then you're talking about you're getting back Solomon Hill. You're going to be playing Solomon Hill a ton of minutes. Like, he's not a good <laughs> player. So now you're looking at the buyout situation. So now do the Lakers go and get – I don't know. They don't need to get DeAndre Jordan at the next buyout, DeAndre Jordan. They have – Anthony Davis, and they already have this center. Wesley Matthews. I think Wesley Matthews is definitely a guy that they need to go target because you need that shooter. You need that guard. You need that wingman. And then Mello. Mello. I think Mello Mello really fits into this team now as a a role player because you need, regardless of his defense being terrible, you need a guy who can just at least space the floor and knock down a three from time to time. It's such an interesting dilemma for the Lakers because – you, I mean, you have to go all in and you have to go get Anthony Davis. But like you said, you're depleting the team. I mean, it's what's a shame is that Anthony Davis is not a free agent for another year and a half. Just, you mentioned this last week in a good analogy with the Knicks. Went all in to get mellow when they could have just waited a couple of months. The Lakers, Ron James, in career this year. The time is now. So if they think that Anthony Davis is the guy, and he is, they got to go all in and get him. But they're going to deplete their roster. And the thing that Anthony Davis does not help with is shoot. What we've learned in the past is that you have to surround LeBron James with scorers, with shooters. Right. But so then how do you Davis, compensate but then where for Anthony that? Davis helps you out, though, is if you miss these rebounds, Anthony Davis is going up and grabbing those offensive rebounds and slamming at home anyways. So – you can get away with a little bit of a weaker shooting team with just how athletic and freakish Anthony Davis is under the basket and grabbing boards. But again, yes, you do need those shooters. Is Svi, KCP, possibly Wes Matthews, and Carmelo Anthony 
enough to to go and contend this year. I don't know. It'll be super entertaining. Again, the Lakers put together a ridiculous offer that people were mock or a ridiculous roster people were mocking all offseason by signing Rondo, by signing Lance Stevenson, and by signing Javal McGee. Like they put together a crazy roster, and when LeBron was healthy, it was a really good team. Obviously, now you're trading away these young core players who have been a reason why they were good with LeBron, but then you're putting in Anthony Davis. So I think it could still be a really successful team. Is it enough to dethrone Golden State? No. Yeah, that crazy hit roster actually did work. I mean, no matter what you do, it's not enough to dethrone Golden State. You're sort of waiting it out for next year. You're building now. You build a rapport with him and LeBron. You develop some of the younger guys like Spee, who you know is going to be there next year. And then you roll the dice in free agency and you go get those shooters. Right now, you're just trying to get right. out of the playoffs and get as far as you can. The, payout structure is going to work once they have Anthony Davis and LeBron on the roster, but I imagine they still still have some money to go spend, and if you're courting a free agent where you already have LeBron and AD on roster, now you're talking about, yes, now this guy is not going to miss, so imagine having LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then now wooing like a guy like Chris Middleton. Like, that's a dangerous third player on that team. Exactly, this isn't a real player, but this is a good example. You're also going to get all the Anthony Moros of the world are going to take the minimum to play with LeBron Absolutely. and Anthony Davis, knowing that they can ride their coattails. all the time. Those guys who will sign one-year, $8 million deals. You're definitely right. They'll get two of those guys that won't make contributions. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I don't know if Anthony Moros is actually still in the league, but guys like that are the kind of guys that will take no money to go play with these two and ride their coattails to – deep into the playoffs, especially if Durant leaves the Warriors, the West could be open Absolutely. this year. And he's going to leave the West, the Warriors. Yeah, he's going he's to win two championships. He's going to want to go now dominate and try to win on his own, maybe recruit one other guy somewhere else and where he's the number one guy and it's still not like Seth's show. Like it'll be the Durant show, essentially. Like, for sure, he's the, I think he's gone. New York. Good luck with that. <laughs> it's happening. I'm going to. So here's what I said in my emergency solo podcast on Friday. I believe it's going to happen. And I'm going to keep telling myself that because I've been telling myself for 30 years that good things are going to happen to my sports teams. I'm going to believe it. I truly believe when you watch Kevin Durant, when you see his body language, when you see and listen to his interviews, I believe that he's a miserable person right now, which is a shame. I believe that the criticism and the hatred and the jealousy that people have shown towards him have gotten to him. And I think he's upset. And I don't think he, you know, I don't think he's enjoying himself. He got his rings. He's going to get his third ring this year. And, you know, I think at the end of LeBron's Miami tenure, he started to feel the wear and tear of it. And he wanted to go home and be happy. For Durant, going home isn't really a, an option. He's not going there. And his home is in Washington. He's not going to the Wizards. But it's a place where, Everyone's going to love him, and he can be happy. I truly, truly, truly believe that if he signs with the Knicks, if he signs with the Knicks at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, well, one, there will be a statue of Kevin Durant in Times Square. He will be the most beloved athlete in the history of New York City, and people will kiss the ground that he walks on, which I believe is what he will want as a part of the summer. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, is New York still a desirable location for people to go live? Yes. But Christophe Porzingis even said, at, at, like he said, like this, be wary, Knicks fans, this management, Porzingis. Like he said in the past. Like I don't know that, who that is. And but it's like, <laughs> until something changes in management with the New York Knicks, I still think it's a pipe dream for the Knicks to expect a guy like Durant to go sign with them. Because stars are staying away for that reason. And something needs to change in the front office for that to change, in my opinion. Stars are staying away, but stars haven't. Knicks haven't had a chance to get the stars. The last real opportunity like this was in 2010, and the Knicks settled for Amari Stoudemire as a plan C after not getting Chris Bosh or LeBron James. Right. Amari Stoudemire wasn't the worst plan C, but I knew what they're just saying. If their plan C or D this time is Tobias Harris, then the whole thing went up in flames. I love Tobias Harris as a number two option, but if that's the Knicks' big prize free agent, then this whole thing just went up in smokes. Right. And it's time to just burn it down. But now with the trade well, deadline quickly approaching, who are some of the guys you're targeting that you think might get dealt on Thursday? Outside of Anthony Davis, I'm watching the Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies are the team to watch. I think Mike Conley and Marcus are both going to be traded. Um, just based on what I've read and what I kind of believe these teams are looking for, I think Conley to the Jazz makes a lot of sense. I think it allows the Grizzlies to get out of that ridiculous max contract. They can get picks. They expire. Favors in Ricky Rubio. Marcus Gasol, a lot more difficult to predict, but I kind of see him going to Portland. I think they want to make a big move. I know they have uh, Joseph Nurkic, but I think Gasol is still an upgrade over him. I think they might have to move Zach Collins to get him. But Portland feels like the fit for – and I think the Grizzlies are the team to watch on Thursday. I definitely agree with you about the Grizzlies. Uh, and this goes back to being a shame about the Oladipo injury. I would have banked a couple weeks ago that the Pacers were going to be the one to land Mike Conley. I thought the Pacers were going to go yeah. all in, pair Conley and Oladipo in that backcourt. I thought it would have been really fun. It would have been an extra score. would have taken a little pressure off of Oladipo, uh, ball handling all the time. I think that would have been really fun. And now it's just I don't think it's worth the Pacers uh, going to get Conley right now. I think you just got to chalk it up as uh, really bad luck this year. No need to, to give away any assets to go get Conley to try to save this team because right now without Oladipo, you just don't have a chance to beat a team like Milwaukee, Boston, or Toronto in the playoffs. So, and that and it's just a damn shame. So, I thought that was definitely the best pick. And now it's, I really don't know where they'll go, but I think it would be very dumb for the Grizzlies not to trade these guys. Because clearly, and the Grizzlies had their, their chance when these guys were in their super primes. They've been in the playoffs. They've upset some teams. They were tough outs in the playoffs. But now they're just not going anywhere. So now you got to get some kind of return for both of them. The assault the to Portland makes a lot of sense, especially if it's only really Zach Hollinger giving up. Because then you're talking Lillard and McCollum and then Nurkic and Gasol. That's, that's a beefy lineup right there. That's pretty solid. Uh, and that gives them at least a chance to advance in the playoffs for the first time with Willard and McCollum. So uh, that's an interesting destination for them. Yeah, and I think outside of those two, I just I don't see any big names. I don't see Tobias Harris getting moved. Clippers are going to want to re-sign him anyway. 
Magic are closer to the playoffs than they are to the bottom of the ladder. I think they hang on to, to Aaron Gordon. I mean, I think the big name, the quote, big names you're looking at are guys like Jabari Parker, a Willie Cauley Stein. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, maybe Harrison Barnes, if the, if the Mavs want to do something else, maybe Reggie Jackson gets moved in Detroit, but I don't, yeah. I don't see I mean, anything some minor deals crazy happening. Just because the NBA trade deadline is, has proven to be the most unpredictable of the deadlines early. So uh, I, I just know that I will be, I mean, probably starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to turn on the Wojnowski Twitter alerts to make sure I don't miss anything while I'm at work. Yeah, absolutely. If you're listening, Twitter, follow Adrian, Ro- Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, W-O-J, ESPN, and send your alerts. That's how I get all the news breaking onto my phone all day. The trade that, like you said, is completely unpredictable, but it's also a secondary deadline. It's not even the most important deadline in the NBA now. It's that buyout deadline where I think you're going to see a lot more action and a lot more noise happen. You just mentioned the guys on the Knicks, like DeAndre Jordan, Wesley Matthews, I'm not sure if those guys are tradable or not, but they're definitely going to get bought out, and they're going to go sign playoff contenders. I agree. And those two are – if you're a playoff team and you can go and get these guys, those are two guys who are going to help you in the playoffs. But you're talking Wes Matthews, a really good score, solid defender. So you're adding – you're talking adding like a legit six-man, maybe take some starter minutes if you got a weak starter at that guard spot. But then DeAndre Jordan come in, play some pretty good defense get some rebounds and blocks. His free throw shooting hasn't been abysmal this year, so he's not that big of a liability as he once was. So it'll be really interesting. That buyout market, you're right, is going to contain bigger player names than probably the trade deadline. Mark Stein listed about 12 players earlier today, or or 12 teams earlier today that are in the market for Wesley Matthews. I think the Thunder and the Raptors make a lot of sense for him. For DeAndre Jordan, the only team that makes sense is the Rockets. He reunites with Chris Paul. He replaces Clint Capella, and he keeps them apart. Right, there. and then imagine, I mean, Kenneth Farid has been beasting out there. If you have now Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Farid, and DeAndre Jordan, now you're talking about a Rockets team that's sort of back in the mix in contending again and maybe playing, playing a little bit more defense. And, and it's just that that can really make the Rockets come right back quickly. Yeah, no, that would be a really valuable move, and I think pairing him with Chris Paul would be good. And then one last note here, in honor of my buddy Zistein, shout-out to the Indiana Hoosiers. Biggest win of the weekend in college basketball, Indiana knocking off Michigan State on Saturday night in East Lansing. Apparently the bubble this year is terrible because everybody had Indiana in the tournament yeah, we were, before their win we on were, Saturday. We still have one of the best resumes before that game with the wins over Marquette. Louisville and Butler, but we were hanging on for dear life. We were in a, we were as a playoff game, last four in, even first four out in somewhere. And right now that win absolutely saved our season. There's no doubt about that. Good news was that Juwan Morgan, who got hurt really early on that game, actually returned to practice today. So really good sign for the Hoosiers going forward. Now they got to take advantage of the schedule coming up. But this is a IU team where – if they maybe they go 500 the rest of the way and get to 18 wins overall, they could just be where that team where they have some sneaky good wins and they're just going to be they're going to get that Syracuse treatment over the past few years and get like an eight nine seed. And because I still think 
teams are going to want to be able to see Romeo in there. The Hoosiers are a big name. If they knock off a mid a mid major team that's got 22 wins, I don't think anyone's going to care. The Pac-12 is weak enough where there's already going to be a couple more bids available for the better mid major teams as is. So as long as the Hoosiers can can get to that 18 win mark, I think their season saved and they will be in the tournament. There you go. Indiana basketball. If you need more on Indiana basketball, follow Zach on Twitter at ZStein87. Also follow him for all your gambling picks, Stein's lines. Killed it last week in the debut week of the column. Every day, check it out on Twitter and on Mike Drop Sports, which is where you can follow my stuff. Every week, all the articles, the Mike Drop Daily. Follow me on Twitter at MSchneid, S-E-H-N-E-I-D. And thanks again for listening. And can't wait to Come at you again next week. Yeah, we'll be able to uh, evaluate the tread deadline next week if anything crazy happens. Until then, have a good one.